I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Old Lady Speaks podcast on Black and White and Red All Over. This is your host, Danny, coming to you for episode number 35. The, oh boy, we're starting to stretch them out pretty, uh, <laughs> pretty thin here as we hit the mid-30s. The Stefano Batrome and Simone Esposito episode. Remember those Primavera quote-unquote legends, gentlemen? I do. I I do as well. I St- Beltrame, I remember. I remember they played him like one game and he unleashed this like pile driver of a shot that that like got saved that but that was just like like it was one of those things where it's like this tiny little kid you know whose waist is about as thick as my leg and yes. Yes. <laughs> and hitting a shot like that. Yes. Man, you have a good memory, uh, Sam. I really like. I remember there's another. Was either the last episode or episode before that that you also had like this really obscure memory of like or anecdote of another player. Was it? So, Rub- yeah. I think it was Rubinho and Alvaro Morata. Was that the it one? Might have. It Rubinho. probably was. Yeah, but you, you have very good memory. So well done. <laughs> Anyways, as as you can tell, we've got Sam and Chuck for a Sergio list this week. He's got some work stuff to attend to so we obviously wish uh, Sergio the best but coming up on the second half of this week's episode we've got our buddy Bren from the Roma blog on SB Nation Kiesa di Toti dropping by to talk about this coming weekend's uh, big big game with Juventus and Roma so before we get to that I will officially bring in Sam Lopresti hello Sam Hello from cold and snowy Jersey City, Danny. Yes, you've, is, got, uh, you've got your blankets on and you are ready for the snowpocalypse to, to go down. We really, yeah. And when, one of those ones that where it starts is like, oh yeah, it's going to snow. And then all of a sudden it becomes snowpocalypse and you're just like, what? And we've got Chuck's in potentially just as cold ohio how's the weather there chucks yeah yeah i was gonna say basically the same <laughs> yeah basically the same uh we have this small little patio deck that we uh, just got built last week oh sorry last week last year <laughs> sorry uh last year and i removed the snow from it like just kind of shoveled some snow off it earlier today and then well like two hours later it was basically back so i was like okay i'll just sand sand in the desert man <laughs> yeah sand exactly, in the desert exactly so but you know still grateful and yeah grateful to be here as well well i will have you guys admire my overcast skies over my uh my left shoulder here if you want so as we mentioned we've got stuff to talk about in terms of the what's coming next week in a little bit but first juventus starting the second half of the season even though they've got a game in hand so i guess technically we are now at the midway point 19 games played and 19 games to go, but a lot like the first time they played Sampdoria, a very good first half, a very impressive showing out of the gate. And then obviously things tailed off a little bit in the second half, but 
you know, I, I was thinking before we hit record here that this time last season, we were thinking, you know, if, if things were to click under Mauricio Sarri, it'd kind of be this January, this late January, February, early March window that we're, that we're now about to go in. And judging off that first half that we saw on Saturday, I think this team is starting to understand what Andrea Pirlo wants, aren't they, Sam? I think you're right. And I think more than that, they're buying into it on a level that that we didn't see with Sadi. You can you can certainly see the differences in Pirlo's approach. You know, there there were a lot of really you know, you had that, that those passing moves in the first half, but they were also complemented by Bonucci or Bentancur or a couple of other guys hitting those long direct balls into the channels that a lot of the time Emil Adero would get to Juventus youth prospect who always seems to have a good game against us. Uh, and he made a couple of really good plays for Sampdoria yes, uh, yesterday as well. But it seems like, like you said, they're, they're getting it. They're starting to make those passes and and link and link up with with themselves and move off the ball, which I think is one of the most important things. One of the things about when Saudi was here last year that I always thought was that always you know just drove me around the bend was that there you know yeah they were making passes and stuff, but no one was moving without the ball. Everyone was just kind of standing there waiting for it to get to them. Now everyone is in motion, like you saw on Chiesa's first goal. Chiesa was making that run before Morata got the ball from Ronaldo on the, on that one too. They're, they're identifying the space, they're seeing it and they're going there. It's, it's, you know, it's kind of like in the NFL, a, a quarterback throw into a spot before the receiver actually makes his break. And then the receiver turns and the ball's there. It's that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I think that that is a, a really encouraging sign. I think that, you know, and we're seeing it more and more and more. The question is now, does that equate to really clicking in, like you said, Danny, or is it kind of that false hope that we had those first couple of games of January last year where we were like, ah, good, Sadismo is here, and then it all fell apart again. But I I personally think just from an from the eye test that there's much like I said, there's much more buy-in from the players with Pirlo as opposed to Saudi. And I think that I will be a major factor in just how much the team uh, achieves going forward. Yes, definitely. I mean, a really encouraging victory. Of course, there's the whole story of, you know, first half versus second half, which I don't know. I think that's always been kind of a story where it's been kind of a Juventus type of thing, you know, first half great. And then second half kind of, make life difficult for ourselves but the first half was very very good indeed i was yeah i was just really uh i mean I almost had nothing bad to say really about the first half i know i know nothing bad to say mr skeptics <laughs> mr know, skeptical is, he is, is being turned <laughs> mr skeptical's thinking positive all of a sudden you are terminated yes <laughs> um, yeah it, it really was just very good play um you know, one one of those really foundational concepts of football that I anyway kind of subscribe to, I guess, is, you know, when you have the ball, you want to create as much space as possible. But then when you don't have the ball, you want to destroy space as, as destroy as much space as possible, which is basically, you know, reduce the space and just reduce, give the opponents as little playable field, I guess, as possible. And I thought that was just great in the first half. 
yesterday it was um the game was yesterday and attacking wise you know sam you also mentioned that the first goal at Giesa's first goal i thought that was the perfect triangle really just like again one of those really foundational concepts in football you know making triangles i thought that was really a perfect triangle when i when i saw it happen i, I remember when was it morata got the ball from ronaldo i was like all right mate complete the triangle complete it you know and then yeah Chiesa ran onto it and that was really just fantastic uh little passing play there and the but, really know, great sorry sorry to interrupt you there oh, for yeah, a second, no but also with a really great entry pass from rodrigo bentancourt which is one of the really encouraging things about this week this past full week the last two Serie A games because he didn't play in the copa it was that bentancourt all of a sudden looks like he started firing again a little bit and that's really great yeah because it was really concerning his dip in play or dip in form rather just since basically most of this season so that was concerning but thankfully we're starting to see uh you know that him improve a little bit and you know the man we've talked about a lot recently anyway in midfield um Artur he had another really good game and he seems to be integrating well into play and uh, into the team and playing at least from my perspective more vertical passes more you know passes into into the attacking third instead of, uh, you know, tiny little circles. That's, because, that's, that's the running thing now, isn't it? <laughs> the tiny circles. Well, we had, we had Arthur's <laughs> circles last week, and now we've got Chuck's triangles this week. So. <laughs> yeah, circles, we're, triangles. We're, we're, we're turning into the, the old lady speaks uh, geometry class. Right? <laughs> What's next? Hexagons <laughs> and stuff. And... <laughs> I don't know but yeah, <laughs> then, then there is obviously the common story of, you know, the second half uh, play kind of, uh, tapered off a little, which, you know, I'm starting to think about that more and more. And I, I think maybe I, I am anyway, or maybe we are being too, too harsh on just the expectation of how possible it is to maintain a certain level of play for the 90 minutes, you know, okay, 45 minutes, sure. And, you know, 45, 50, 60 minutes, but for 90 minutes to have that exact same intensity and dominance of play, I, I guess I'm starting to realize it's really quite difficult you know so I'm a little forgiving in that and you know the fact that the second half dipped a little bit it wasn't as bad I think as other games where it's like we've we've dipped in the second half and it looks like every every opportunity that the um, opponent has it, it could turn into a goal you know I don't think we saw that yesterday I thought definitely uh, some Doya were threatening in the second half in that little you know spell that they had it definitely looked that they had the confidence to maybe steal something there, but I wasn't like, oh my God, we're going to concede the equalizer right now. I was more like, okay, you know, we're playing with fire a little bit. Don't want to give them too much momentum and, and kind of run of play. But overall, then obviously we got that second goal and then it was sealed. But yeah, overall, just a good game. Probably one of the most controlled uh, performances of late in the sense that, you know, again, how threatening were the opponent besides, yeah, that spell in the second half. And, uh, you know, I think almost everyone just played well. And that was, again, also very, very encouraging. I just, I don't know if the second half was all that. I, I don't, I, I was not particularly alarmed by the way things went in the second half. Like with the, with the exception of that shot that Chiellini blocked, I didn't think there was any real danger to the Juventus 
to, to, to the Juventus lead. And if, if they had been a little bit more clinical in the first half and put the game away, then no one would be, I don't think anyone would be talking about, about that drop-off as much as it was. I think the, the, the thing that kind of highlighted the difference between the first and the second half was because it was one nil until stoppage time. I think that, you know, like, like you said, Chuck, I don't think, I, I think it's very, very difficult to keep up that level of play for a full 90 minute game. And I, and I don't, as you know, here's a, a, the phrase that you always bring up is match control. I never thought that the match was out of control. I, I just, I never had that feeling even as it was one nil deeper in deeper into the game. I think it is is highlighted by the fact that Sampdoria could have equalized at any minute by virtue of it being one nil, but I just don't. I, I it it's not a huge problem for me. It's not something that I'm really losing you know losing hairs over because I I think overall it was still very the game the game was still very much in Juve's control. Yeah, we we've seen games this year where. You know, Juve's in the lead, but I mean, there were there were points, especially early in the season, where you see a, the opposing team go on a counterattack, and your heart basically drops into your stomach because you know, you're kind of expecting bad things to happen at this point. And there were there were a couple of counterattacks that Sam went on in the second half, where it's like, oh boy, here here we go. But I think the the biggest thing between say those early games and obviously Sampdoria, the Sampdoria game being the season opener is one of them to now is that Pirlo has been able to, whether it's because he's got somebody like Weston McKinney to constantly just hound the opposition when they get the ball right back or, or Arthur and Bentic are clicking defensively is that those kind of counterattacking chances seem to really kind of be cut down in terms of the opposition. And I think that that's the big thing is that not only have they cut those counterattacks by the opponent down, but they're also, defending them a whole lot better in general. And, you know, it's not the, the breakneck, you know, fear of God thrown into you whenever the opposition goes in onto a counterattack, like it was in, in October and November. And, you know, they're kind of just really trying to still figure out what exactly Pirlo wants to do. And I mean, heck, maybe it just comes down to sheer familiarity at this point, but it, it ever since the inner game, there just seems to be a different vibe around this, this team with, with how they're playing. And I mean, they've responded exactly how you want a team to respond after a really bad loss like that one. Yeah. And I, to go back to something, Sam, well, actually to go to what Danny said and then to something that Sam said, I think the inter loss was probably the only loss where we were comprehensively outplayed for essentially the 90 minutes of the game. I don't think the Barcelona loss in the champions league was really that way. I think it was, I mean, they were, better overall but i don't you know wasn't inter was just yeah i mean that was a it was just a very different feeling to that game so um very negative feeling of course but yeah to what to what sam said i think just the 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 problem with games like these is like okay you'll you'll still dominate for so much and like you said i mean if we put the chances away in the first half you know everybody would have been fine you know if we put the chances away in the first half and everything else had proceeded the same way you know, we wouldn't have really felt as maybe nervy at some points in the second half. But I think that's exactly like, that's exactly the point. You know, football is such a game of margins. It's like, it's one, you're one nil ahead. And even though we were 
essentially still comfortable. All it takes is one person to slip. And it was, you know, in those conditions yesterday could have very well happened. You know, it all takes is one person to slip and then miss a pass or, you know, a weird cross to deflect off someone's shin and then, you know, uh, go to Qualiarella and then he scores uh, with a bicycle kick. (laughs) Um, um, You know, it, it all it takes is just one freak moment. And that's why that's always what I have in the back of my head when you have games like these, you know, one nil games, you're essentially comfortable. You're basically dominating, but there's, it's still just one nil. So, you know, that always keeps me a bit on edge, but um, you know, at the end of the end of the day, we did still uh, basically, you know, comfortably deal with the deal with Sampdoria yesterday. Before we, we got Bryn coming in here in a couple more minutes. So don't want to get too deep into a discussion, but the, the, I mean, it, it feels like we talk about every week, but it, it it's understandable since it's such a vital thing in terms of when they play well, it seems like Juventus does well. And when they don't play well, stuff like the inner loss happens. I mean, the, the midfield, this three of McKinney, Bentoncourt, and Arthur, I mean, it, it, it seems like Pirlo has really found at long last the balance that he needs. And obviously, you know, with so many games, there's going to be rotations, you know, Rabio is going to get his minutes. I mean, how, how, who knows how, how much playing time Fajoli might get in terms of how, you know, how he did in his debut too. But re- real quick, before we, we bring in our Ro- Roman friend, what do you guys think about how the midfield has done since that inner game, especially to really kind of solidify things a little bit. And obviously this, this stretch coming up here is huge and, you know, they're, they're playing some pretty good midfields to boot as well. I think it's obviously it's huge, but I, I really do think that, you know, ever since the inter game, we have seen a real uptick in form from both Bentancourt and Artur. You know, like I've said before, I do think that a lot of that has to do with Weston McKenney and, and what he does well, allowing them to do what they do well without being molested as much. But like you said, we are going to have, you know, we're going to see some rotation. Uh, Bentancourt is suspended this week against Roma, which for a really ticky-tack card. Like we, we've, we yes, the, the criticism of Bentancourt and the excessive cards is valid, but not that one. That was a really ticky-tack card. That, oh, that was about as ticky-tack of a yellow. I mean, when you when you compare it to what Albin Ekdal was doing, to only get one how yellow was card? That, how was he even on the field at the end of that game? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, uh, look, I, I like Ekdal from his Juventus days, and you know, he was kind of one of the few youngsters that Alessio Seco brought in that has actually panned out somewhere else. But, yeah, I, I don't know how he wasn't shown a second yellow because some of, some of those tackles he had in the second half were <laughs> – they yeah, were definitely but, worthy of a yellow card. Yeah. I'm I'm very interested to see how, like you said, guys plug in. I think you can reasonably expect the same kind of level as Rabio rotates in, especially if it's for Bentancourt. I don't know as much about Artur because that's that is a level of passing when he's making the right passes that that Rabio doesn't quite have. I'm a little less bullish on on Ramsey being rotated in. Yeah, sure. He got the goal. Now we all have to wait and see which celebrity dies now, because I, I don't know if you know that le- that whole legend. But I, there, there's, I'm not quite as confident in in him being able to retain that level as I am if Rabio goes in. But overall, like you said, Danny, they're they've gotten so much better as a unit since 
they lost that game at San Siro and it's going to be a really interesting it's it's going to be really interesting to watch just how just how much they keep going and what that and like Hunter said last week what that might do to the plan for the plans in the future for that unit yeah I think you've said it basically Sam and that's you know the main improvement or the main change I guess from the interloss is just the fact that we've actually figured out well two things that we figured out what the best unit is you know that I think we can all agree is indeed Artur, Bentancur, and McKenny on the right slash pseudo winger position uh, that he plays. Um, so that, you know, first first off, just figuring out that, okay, that is the best three. But then also just figuring out the best, uh, I guess, system for the unit. The fact that, you know, we're not really putting, well, we're not putting Ramsey in in the center well we're not playing Ramsey essentially at all really but I think crucially that we're not playing McKenny exclusively in the central midfield position you know he's playing this kind of hybrid uh, winger slash central midfielder attacking central midfielder position and I think that's really those two things figuring out the best three and just figuring out the best tactical system or the best yeah setup um to bring out the best in everyone, really, in the best, bring out the best in those three, especially, but the best in everyone, and just make the most cohesive midfield unit. Because yeah, I mean, we've you know, Pirlo has tinkered a lot, experimented a lot with the central midfield positions, understandably because he didn't have it preseason, and you know, a bunch of new players as well. So he did have to experiment, and I think he's landed on kind of his eureka moment of seeing, okay, this is what works best right now for the team, and. You know, I guess yeah, indeed the question is, okay, what if one of the, these players needs either rest or is suspended or is injured? Well, we'll see that against Roma. See how well the cohesiveness of the unit is maintained and just kind of the, the flow of the system is maintained if we or when we take out Bentancourt due to suspension and put in uh, Rabio. Let's see. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you'll hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Speaking of Roma, let's bring our buddy Brent in. Hey, hey. Guys. hey. What's going on, bud? Hey, Brian, what's up? So, How much? How are you guys? Good, good. Welcome. Doing Welcome all right. Party. Maybe first and foremost, any shenanigans against Hellas Verona this week compared to last time? Uh, no, no shenanigans. It was uh, <laughs> an actual regular football match that Roma won. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it started off dreadfully boring. 20 minutes of just really nothing. And they scored three goals within nine minutes. And then that was pretty much that. But they started off the um, second half. And uh, Verona pulled one back off a header where they just sort of caught Mancini napping at the far post, which is usually how it happens. So at that point, it was like, oh, crap, here we go again. But no, they actually won it on the pitch. So I, we've had two defeats this year from uh, administrative rulings. The first one against them and then in Spezia when they made the six subs. So two losses, three no losses handed down from above. Uh, yeah, so none of that today, just a regular clean match that they won. 
Awesome. Well, let, let me officially introduce Bren. He is he is the me of Chiesa di Toti over on our sister blog that covers all things Roma. And they also have a podcast over there, Into the Romaverse, I believe it's called, correct? Close, Across the Romaverse. Across the Romaverse. Well, you know. <laughs> I haven't been on it on a while, in a while, so I forgot what it's called. But sure. anyways. Bro- Neither bro- have I, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's been a few weeks since I myself have done one. <laughs> but I uh, brought Brent on to uh, talk about, obviously, the, the big, big game we've got this weekend between Juventus and Roma. And I guess first, first off, and then we can let Sam and Chuck's jump in. How would you kind of describe Roma's season up to this point? Cause I mean, I, I'm struggling to remember a point in the season where you know, you're, you're looking at the beginning of the second half and Roma's ahead of Juventus in the standings. Yeah. It's probably been a good 20 years since that happens. Um, <laughs> Boy, it's it's really tough to uh, to put it to a few words or even a few sentences. I mean, obviously we're in, in we we're in third place ahead of Juve by a point, but you guys obviously have a match in hand, so that could change once that's actually played. I mean, the attack is really really doing well. They're amongst the league leaders in goals scored, shots, goals per shot, all the standard statistics you want to see from attacking. But um, the defense has just been. Uh, atro- not atrocious, not that bad, but um, susceptible, sp- particularly the second half, second half um, collapse, the second half let up. So a lot of things have gone wrong at that end. I mean, it's obviously you can tell by my rambling answer. It's really hard to sort of describe this particular Roman. I think a lot of that is because they're doing a lot of things very well, but it, you can't escape the feeling that it's kind of a house of cards and it might all come falling apart any minute for the reasons I just mentioned, because they're doing so well in one area, but so poorly in another and then everything with Fonseca is up in the air. So it just, it just feels like they're sort of hanging on by a thread. It feels like a lot of this might be fool's gold. So it really, it depends on how optimistic a Roma fan might be. Um, if you've been with the club for a while, you're jaded. You're sort of expecting things to fall apart. And if you're kind of new, you might think this is great. This is how it should always go. It's just, it's, it's, I can't tell you what's going to happen over the next 18 matches, but so far the attack has been great. The defense has been not so great and all the stuff off the field has been a nightmare as always. So to answer your question, um, if I gave it a letter grade, I'd say we're solid B above average, but not really setting the pace for the class. So are you on the jaded side of Roma fans? Oh, obviously. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I've been following the team for probably 20 years, writing about them for almost 10 yeah, I, 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 I'm I, sure you're going to ask me more Fonseca questions at some point, but this entire season, I guess I'm just sort of a tad bit ambivalent because I just feel like, like I said, a lot of things have gone right, but there's a lot of things that have gone wrong that when they, it's like the housing bubble or like the GameStop bubble, when it blows up, it's going to go crazy. So I just feel like there's a lot of things that could go wrong. And once they do, it's going to all come unraveling, but right now it's good. I'll, I'll jump in. I'll jump in with, with, you were you were about to talk about the Fonseca questions, and and I've I've actually been thinking about this since I've known that you were going to be on the pod, and it's just like you know I've heard, you know I've heard from you on a couple of the special episodes that you and Danny and Tito did. I was on one of them as well, right before the restart. The you've often used the phrase, "Well, that's Roma" to describe some of the stuff that's been that, that's been going on, and is is that is that really just kind of what's been going on with you know, the, the Fonseca stuff and, and the Jekko stuff, like from a, from an outs, from a perspective of a relative outsider for Roma, like I am, this like, seems like it's come completely out of the blue was, is that the same for you guys? Or were there like warning? Was there a, like 
were there red flags coming up that you thought might have started leading into something like this? Or is this really just as random as it seems to from somebody outside of the Roma orbit? Wow, that's a great question. Um, the, the phrase we have is Roma happens. So when you there type it, it, it's an, it's an there italic, it is, yeah. it's an italic <laughs> for emphasis. That's been <laughs> that's sort of a catch-all term for anything like you incorrectly. You don't know that your player's age. You lose a point for that. You make six subs, you only have five. Roma happened. You concede a goal in the 98th minute. Roma happened. Player gets hurt sneezing. Roma happened. That's the kind of thing. So <laughs> in, the, uh, in the broader sense... In the broader sense, there's nothing random about it. It's just sort of, uh, it's just, it's just that the state of being a Roma fan, there's just this sort of built-in feeling of inferiority. Like you can never have it too good. If you have it too good, if it just doesn't feel right. But to your more specific question about the thing about Fonseca, and I wrote about this too. You know, I just take a step back when I look at it, I'm like, this is really stupid. I mean, what is the problem? Jekka was upset that you got housed by Sevilla in the Europa League round of 16. Well, you know, part of my language, who the f- wasn't, it was terrible. They got destroyed. They got made look fools. So is that really the, the genesis of this beef? And they let it stew for six months. I'm like, that's it. That's really, that's it. You can't get past that. And then when Jekka was connected to you guys and Roma lined up uh, Marcadius Milik, and that was sort of, these are all rumors. No one really knows what the source of it is or what was said, but that was sort of the, the thinking was that he was upset. Jekka was upset that they found a replacement. It's like, well, what do you expect? They're not going to, they have to get somebody to fill your spot. So to me, these seem like very superficial sort of, yeah, just superficial, just really stupid reasons to have a fight. It's just like, sit down, hash it out. What are we 14? These are just so surface level, stupid things to sort of tear the team apart. And then it all came to a head over the past couple of days. I woke up one day and I saw like, oh, they might trade Jekko for Icardi. And me, I love Mauro Icardi, despite all the headaches that he comes with. I was, so I was stoked. And I immediately wrote something up about it, only to find out within like 10 minutes of publishing it, that was Nick's. Then I was like, okay, we're going to send him to Inter for Alexis Sanchez. And that really set everybody aflame. Like people were just like, how could you do that? How could you do that? And to me, the the biggest sin of that was that Fonseca's contract expires in June. If he doesn't get them to the Champions League, he's gone. So, like, why would you let a lame duck manager make such a big decision? So, to go back again, circle back to your question. I have no idea when, uh, what is going on between the two of them because nothing's really become public. There's no, no smoking gun. No one's really said definitively what was said or what wasn't said. So, it's all conjecture. And the conjecture that we're exposed to or that we're privy to is really just stupid. Like, is it really, like I said, it's just nothing that serious. It's nothing. When I wrote about it, I compared it to like in the late 90s, the Buffalo Sabres had Dominic Hasek, the great goal, and they had to coach Ted Nolan, and they had a big fight where Hasek in public was asking for Nolan to be fired. And the rumor uh, around Buffalo was that Ted Nolan had slept with Hasek's wife. I'm like, that I get. That is a reason to blow up a team, but not because the player was upset with the coach. (laughs) In the absence of that, I'm just left to wonder, what are they really doing? Is it really that bad? Buffalo Sabres, men mid-90s a lot more interesting than my shark sprint <laughs> uh yeah I, I forget what your actual question was but i don't know what the deals with fonseca and jack it's all pretty stupid if you ask me and and it all just can kind of came out of nowhere like this or was there like a were that was there a warning sign yeah that's that's another excellent point like i said if the Sevilla thing was really the flashpoint that was august and yeah. I mean, Jekko is he's 34. He's about to be 35. He's incredibly inefficient, but he's the club's third all-time leading scorer. So they definitely need him. And so he was left out of one of last week's matches because he had a, I'm making finger quotes, a bruise. So he was left off the match list and that sort of steamrolled or snowballed into what would happen. But you're right. There was no, you're right, Sam. There was no 
second incident. There was nothing that would have over the past week or so that would have led you to believe that a rift was developing. So if it really is just maybe something was simmering since August, maybe they're both really passive aggressive to each other at team lunches. I don't know. They give each other the death, death stare, I guess, at the lunch. Yeah. <laughs> maybe, uh, I don't know if you guys are like Curb, fan, curb Enthusiasm fans, so maybe um, Fonseca's wearing like the same suit and Jekko's outfit tracking him, talking, <laughs> maybe talking about wearing the same suit or the same pants. Yes, yes. <laughs> oh, it's, it's all ridiculous. That's all I can say. <laughs> but I'll, I'll jump in with a question then. Uh, I don't know. It's weird. It's like, for me, as an outsider looking at Roma, looking at the table anyway, you know, okay, there's been all this hullabaloo and all this, you know, there's always there's always a lot of fuss about Roma. Like, it seems internally there's always some kind of strife going on. But, you know, at the end of the day, I look at the table and I'm like, you guys are in a title race. You're six points off uh, Milan. Like, you're still still very much uh, in a shout for a title. And, I mean, it's a crazy season, obviously, and there are essentially five teams in the title race, which is, I mean, pretty crazy. But I guess my question then is, in your opinion, how has Roma developed from last season compared to this season? It's a good question. Jeez. Well, it's kind of ironic you ask that. I think what we're seeing now, like I said before, is a really prolific attack with a susceptible defense. I think when Fonseca came last year, that's kind of what we expected because that's kind of how his Shakhtar teams played. It was just all-out attack, worry about defense later. And so when it's the season last year, I can't remember exactly at the beginning of the year, but that sort of started to happen. Then they switched to a, a three-man back line. That sort of changed everything. Their defensive record was a lot better. And so instead of a lot of wild four to threes, we were seeing two nils, one nils. It was really kind of encouraging in a way. So for this year, he stuck with that. And I think the offense is just better because we're getting better fullback play from Spinazzola, who, um, again, they almost got rid of a year ago. He was literally you're, on his way. You're, to... wel- you're welcome for that one, by the way. Yeah. Yeah, that's kind of funny. That was really like people were pissed. I'm like, how could you give up Luca Pellegrini for Spinazzola? I think, I think it was played a damn minute for Juve. And... There were, there, it was funny because that deal seemed like there was equal rage from both sides of it. Yeah, I'll say so. But back to Chuck's question, I think he – He's been so instrumental, and I think you're getting, you know, I, I would say maybe next to Teo Hernandez at, at Milan, he's probably been the best left back in the league. And I think on the other side, we're getting um, Rick Karsdorp and Bruno Parrish, both of whom were effectively left for dead, have come back. So we're just getting a lot better play out wide. And then, um, oh, my gosh, all this far, I've forgotten. Obviously, the biggest the biggest difference, Chucks, is Mkhitaryan. He's really playing at an MVP level. I mean, he was good last year, but he wasn't this good. He's really just um, the star that's the straw that stirred the drinks. He makes just everybody better around him. So I, I think um, just to I don't want to oversimplify, but I think just having another year with the same manager helps a great deal. And I was running through the math in my head yesterday. So Roman's been owned by Americans since 2011, so that's 10 years. I think we've had eight different managers. So it's just. It's, it's an unusual thing for a manager to last more than 18 months in Roma. So I think that's really the biggest part. But if you look at individual talents, I think a lot of it's because of Mkhitaryan. A lot of it's because of Spinazzola. Pellegrini's playing better. Um, gosh, who else? Uh, Vertu playing well. Gonzalo Villar. So a lot of it's just the familiarity with the coach and sort of the attacking players building off of that and be playing more efficiently, playing more effectively. Uh, speaking of... Pellegrini, you you were talking about him when we just spent a, a decent amount of our the week that was talking about how uh, Rodrigo Bentancor is going to be suspended for us uh, due to yellow cards. Pellegrini is also going to be suspended for you guys this week. And what effect do you think that's going to have on your on your lineup and on the the game from your side of the of the field? 
Yeah, it's kind of funny. I I saw. I'm assuming Danny, you run the the Twitter account during the matches. So I saw when he was suspended. I replied with that the GIF of the little girl dancing. Um, yep. So it was that, very it was very nice of you to send that. Yeah, out. well, I'm that Schadenfreude came and bit me back in the ass. <laughs> um, sorry, I think I just changed your guys' rating to explicit with all this. <laughs> uh, oh, Pellegrini. Um, yeah, I mean it's gonna be an effect because he's he's our our best <coughs> excuse me best playmaker. So we're talking about that today. I don't really know who's going to take a spot because Chris Smalling just got hurt today too. So if he can't play, it's probably going to be Brian Costante might be playing center back, uh, which he's done a few times before. So if we're talking about um, a 3-4-2-1 with Mayoral up top, Mkhitaryan behind him, you might see Costante could play in that role if he's not forced into defense. But if not, we might see Stefan El Shirawi, who just uh, was made official the other day, yesterday. So he hasn't played a real match in God knows how long because he – only played 16 matches for his team in China over the past two years, so he's pretty rusty. Is he out of COVID protocol? Because I know yep. he was in COVID protocol. Yeah. They uh, okay. presented him. They presented him yesterday. Uh, he was at training today, or yes, yeah, yesterday he was at training. Got presented, went to training, so he could play in that position. And it might be a bit soon, considering he hasn't played a real match in months. But yeah, losing Pellegrini, we're losing our our probably our best playmaker next to Mkhitaryan. So I think without that, Mkhitaryan's not going to have as, as much leeway. He's not going to have as much room to roam. So I think it is going to be a dramatic effect. And I think, what, like I said, with Smalling being hurt, that might compound it. So we might be out two starters. So it really all depends how comfortable Fonseca is with throwing uh, El Shirawi right in there. Um, but there are options, but none of whom are quite as good as Pellegrini in that role. So I think it, it could be a factor, especially if uh, Juve's defense is playing well. We'll be struggling for chances. When you look at this game, and you know there are obviously going to be some noticeable absences, but non-guy who wears number seven in black and white edition, who uh, who's got you the most worried, and kind of what are you hoping that Roma is able to kind of contain with Juventus? Because we were talking before you got on, and and it, you know you also mentioned it at the the Roma side of you know just more time with with their manager, and we were saying how uh, you know the, these these last couple of months, you know, outside of the inner loss, it seems like things are kind of starting to absorb in terms of what Andrea Pirlo wants to do with, with his Juventus team. So who am I most wary of other than? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, obviously, uh, you know, Ronaldo, I mean, he, you know, he's, he's going to get so much attention anyway. I mean, I, I was, I was, I was, I was joking that joking with a couple of buddies. It's like, you know, the, the announcers on the ESPN plus stream were making a big deal out of him not scoring for now three games in a row. Yeah, you know, how many how many players do I was just I was just that gonna kind of dun, dun, dun. <laughs> I was just gonna say I thought his last name was ESPN FC. Oh I got I geez. Uh I mean I guess it's take your pick. Um Dabala always scares me, but I don't really know what's going well, on with him. Is, is he hurt? hurt? He's, he's, he's not he's injured. Hurt. Okay. So he's not even gonna play at all. Probably no, not. he's yeah, he's not gonna be ready. He's not he probably won't be playing for us until the Champions League, at least at the at the earliest. Oh wow. Um Gosh, that's a that's a good question. I, I'm going to look at it from a defensive standpoint. From uh, excuse me, from Juve's defensive standpoint, especially if Pellegrini's out. Uh, yeah, you're scaring me with that. Well, anyway, he is out. It's not a if. Sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's not obviously not the halcyon days of BBC, but Juve's defense is always Juve's defense. Especially this will be. I'm I'm just going to go on the the out on a limb and assume that he's not going to play Jacko. That that feud's not going to boil over by then. So we're looking at Borja Mayoral, who's 23 years old, and this will be the biggest match he's ever played against Roma. So everyone's thrilled at what he's doing. He's got like nine goals, I think, in all competitions. Um, but they're all come against smaller clubs. So I, I'd be interested to see how he does against that back line. 
and just from a, a curiosity standpoint, I haven't really seen McKinney play yet. We're getting our own American. I think they're going to unveil him tomorrow. Tomorrow being Monday, February 1st, uh, Brian Reynolds. So I don't know much about McKinney. I was actually including him in a piece I wrote about it. I thought his name was Bryant McKinney, who was an offensive tackle, I think, for the Vikings. <laughs> yes. So when I typed that in, I'm like, that was a lo- oh, wow. Well, no, I he typed it in. Like, I'm like, this doesn't seem right. And the picture came up. I'm like, yeah, that's not him. Uh, a <laughs> little, little different size-wise, though, to the guys. I think he was a Vikings tackle. Yes. Um, Starting yeah, no, he was. I remember years. that guy. Yeah, uh, I guess, I mean, I'm curious to see how Chiesa plays for Juve. Uh, I haven't really seen him play for you guys yet. Uh, Murata is always dangerous. Uh, Kulusevsky, take a pick really when you're playing Juve, but obviously Ronaldo's draws all the attention. You mentioned Brian Reynolds. I mean, it, it was a weird one, weird transfer saga where you guys first looked in the lead and then Juventus looked like they're about to close it. And then you guys, for whatever reason, just kind of swooped in this last this last week or so and, and closed things out. I mean, how... Uh, how surprised are you that Roma were able to get a uh, a guy away from Juventus? Because I mean that that just you know I mean you know oh oh, oh Danny that's happened two times well, before I, and both times it was a disaster for Roma. If you look at Wani Turbe and Patrick Schick, so the Turbe and yeah, so the the cynical Roma fans were yeah. like, oh boy, here we go again, Schick two point oh, and I was like, I, no, I, I was going to say it doesn't happen often, but yeah, the reason that the reason that Antonio Conte left, right, that we didn't get Wani Turbe. <laughs> Yeah, I, I guess so. When it, it came out, obviously I jumped out and I, I reached out to our, our colleagues on our Dallas site and did like a QA to get some insight on him because I don't follow the MLS, so I don't know him from a hole in the wall. Uh, and then you guys sort of jumped the queue and it seemed like you had him and then it fell apart. I presume because he didn't want to go to Benevento or they didn't have any non EU spots. I think that was it, right? Yeah. You guys didn't have non EU spots. Yeah, because um, McKinney and Arthur were the two non-EU spots from from this season for for Juventus yeah and so then I, I was I saw that I was like well how many does Roma have and I like I didn't even know the limit I went to Wikipedia and I read like the limits and the rules for it I was just so <laughs> it's just it's so convoluted um but from what I understand is the Roma's new owners the Freakins who um don't have any stake in MLS or anything like that but they're a big Toyota dealer and Toyota I believe sponsors FC Dallas's park their stadium uh, and then the owners of Dallas, I believe, are the Hunt family, who are like the first family of American soccer. Um, and so they're pretty tight with the Freakins. And so the rumor was that they sort of greased the wheels and that sort of gave them, in addition to the, the non-EU spots, they gave them a leg up because we'd seen, I know, Juve, there were a couple other clubs in on them too. But yeah, when some people's reaction was, okay, here we go, and the Turbe, Schick, the, the next one up. But I, I, I think that's just sort of something, if I'm assuming that the Freakins work that's sort of clandestinely behind the scenes to work with their connections there to land them. So now we have to see if the kid can play. So we'll see. I'm, I'm, I'm a little shocked that Roman aren't going to send him alone straight away either. Cause they don't really have, we have two right backs as it is both who are pretty experienced. So I'll be curious to see how he gets in there, but I just, I think it's a typical case of why you can't believe transfer rumors. There's always more going on underneath the surface. So Roma may have always been in the lead, um, but I was certainly scared. I, I know him and McKenney are friends and they both played in Dallas. So certainly if you're a 19 year old American going to a foreign country where they don't speak English, having a friend there, certainly that would be, that would be if everything else is equal, that would pull me in that direction. So I'm surprised it didn't go that way, but I'm very intrigued to see what this kid can do. So you're saying Toyota beat out Fiat, huh? Well, yeah, I mean, Toyota, it's, <laughs> they're gigantic, right? <laughs> <laughs> Although Fiat are merging soon, aren't they? So, uh-huh. Yeah, I know. It's like cars are like cable companies, like cable companies, like three of them in the whole world now, right? <laughs> yeah, don't get me started. 
<laughs> any of you guys got uh, anything else for Mr. Bren here? Or should we uh, wrap things up? Uh, can I have one final question? Yeah, um, go ahead, John. I'm, yeah, I'm wondering. So, yeah, you kind of alluded to it earlier, but what about the future of Paulo Fonseca? Is it really if he doesn't make the Champions League, he's out? I think so. And the only reason I say it because he was hired uh, before the, the club changed hands. And uh, originally the Freakins were supposed to take control. It was, I believe it was around um, November 2019 to around the turn of the year. But then obviously things changed dramatically with the pandemic. And so everything got delayed with that. And so by the time they took over, Roma had kind of turned things around a little bit. I just kind of think it's, it's like I, I was saying, every, a lot of things are going well, but a lot of it kind of feels like it's being propped up by straws. And I, I just feel like if you look at Roma's record against the top clubs, it's um, abysmal. I know we had the draw against Milan to start the season and the draw against you guys. Um, but I'll, apart from that, his record against the top six or seven sides is just pathetic. And so when, I mean, it's not a problem, but if you're doing that, then you have to be pretty much perfect against everybody else. Um, I think I ran the math like a month ago. They'd take like 83% of all possible points from the rest of the team. So if you couple that with the fact that he sort of gets exposed in second half of a lot of matches, and there's a lot of people questioning um, whether or not he's really cut out for Italian football. So I think if they, if they end up fifth place, they miss the Champions League, if it's by a point, or if they get a deduction from the league, uh, I think he's gone. I think the only chance he has to save his job is to qualify for the Champions League. And I think, I don't know for sure, but I think there's a clause in his contract that gives him a third year if he does qualify for that. But um, I just think at the end of the day, he wasn't their hire. So if you're spending, you know, half a billion dollars on a football club, I think you would want to pick your own manager. So I think he's, he's going to be a victim of circumstance if that's the case. Any indications on who might replace him? I, I applied. Uh, I'm still waiting for <laughs> <laughs> my recommendation from my uncle. Um, sign him up, Fergie, sign him up. <laughs> I'm really good at football manager, I swear. <laughs> no, I, I would think um, obviously Allegri was the, the big rumor throughout the week that they had a, he had a pre-contract. <laughs> um, I can't even say that without laughing. Yeah, uh, you were you were pretty quick to shoot that one down when I uh, but, when I mentioned it on the Twitter. Yeah, page. just because I just because I don't believe it. I, I feel like how long <laughs> has he coached at all since he left Juve? No, he's been. How long he, ago was that? He's been on a sabbatical. That's this, uh, this is the second year. Yeah, yeah or second season. Yeah, yeah, a year and a half. Um, I've seen a lot of people saying that he might be replacing Zidane and Real Madrid now. Yeah, that's yeah. I was just gonna say that I feel like he's just waiting for one of the glamour jobs. But PSG came and went pretty quickly. Chelsea came and went pretty quickly. So I'm like, what's he gonna wait for this time? Barcelona. I mean, they're a billion dollars in debt, so they might not be the Barcelona that they normally are going forward. So I, I would think he's probably holding out for Madrid, and I uh, can't really blame him. But I mean, certainly he would be <clears throat> top of the list. I think based on his record. And I think a lot of Roma fans would just love to hand the job to Daniele De Rossi once he gets his full coaching licenses. But I mean, we look at what's going on with Pirlo and Juve and you think the Roma media is uh, pretty vicious. So I think a lot of Roma fans would like De Rossi to cut his teeth somewhere else before he takes a job with a big club. Uh, so I think it would be Allegra would be top of the top of the heap. And after that, I would just worry that it would just be your typical Serie A retreads, which if that's the case, I would just prefer to keep Fonseca. I don't want to see you Pioli or Miha, whoever it might be the typical names that are connected every time someone gets fired. Seen Saudi too. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, that would be I'd be intrigued by that because I think it would be a pretty good. The pieces are in place uh, for his kind of football, but I mean, you guys probably know better than I do that he's a bit of an odd duck sometimes. Sometimes. Uh, so I, I mean, things are looking good. They're ahead of the pace. So I, I'm anticipating that Rome is going to finish fourth by the skin of their teeth, and then we'll see what happens after that.
any any gut feeling on how this weekend will go, Bren? Um, you know what? I think it's going to be another draw. Uh, you know, obviously Roma beating Juve on the road is a pretty rare occasion, but when there's nobody there, maybe that advantage is gone. Uh, I just, I, I'm probably going to be jinxing myself here, but I just, I just feel like from an outsider's perspective, if talking about your team, that sort of um, aura of invincibility is just not there anymore. Um, I think, you know, I think it's because Lawton's getting all the penalties now. I just saw something today. They have like 14 penalties and like the next closest team has five or six. 15. Yeah, 15. Yeah, so I, I just feel like, uh, again, I might jinx myself here, but I just feel like Juve doesn't seem as invincible as they once did. I feel like when you win nine titles in a row, eventually you're going to have to go through sort of a down period that maybe this is the beginning of that. I don't really know. But I'll, I'll say a draw. I'll be at a high-scoring one. I'll say 3-3. Ooh, Mr. Offense. All right. Bren, plug anything you'd like to plug. Um, I don't have anything particular coming up. I mean, <laughs> well, we just play it by ear. Uh, we'll have Brian Reynolds' announcement. Um, and then if you want to catch our podcast across the Romaverse, uh, maybe we'll do a reverse one with you guys before this fixture. We'll see. No, I have nothing, nothing in particular. Well, stay tuned. If Fonseca gets fired, if Jacko and him get into a, a fight in the parking lot, cruise on over to our site. We'll have it covered. <laughs> and that site is chiesaditoti.com. I want to thank Bren for stopping by, giving, giving us a, a good half hour on, on Roma and all things going on there because – as as we said, Roma happens, and Roma <laughs> never never not interesting. It seems like so. Uh, never a dull moment. Never a dull moment. There we go. So I want to thank Brent for stopping by. Uh, you can follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Search Black and White and Red all over. Apple iTunes Podcasts, uh, Google Podcasts, Spotify. Search Black and White and Red all over. All three places there. If you are listening on iTunes or Apple Podcasts, feel free to rate us and leave us a review. For Sergio Romero, he'll be back next week. So for the aforementioned Sergio, for Sam, for Chuck, and for Bren, this is Danny saying thank you very much for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. <laughs>